Ladies and gentlemen, we have an NBA champion. The Milwaukee Bucks have defeated the Phoenix Suns in six games. What a historic effort from Giannis Antetokounmpo last night. 50 points, 10 rebounds, 5 blocks. First time anybody has done that ever in a finals game. Let alone in game 6 to bury the Phoenix Suns. Truly, truly amazing stuff from the most dominant player in the NBA. Now, if you'll remember correctly, in my July 7th episode, I said Bucks and 6 because of the adversity that they had to face. The Suns, they're a great team, there's no doubt about it, but look at their playoff run. The only time they were ever down in any series was all the way back when they were down two games to one against the Lakers. So from that point on, they basically coasted through the playoffs without much of an issue. The Bucks, however, they had to fight. They, had to, they swept the heat, easy, but then they got straight up embarrassed the first two games against the Nets, and it looked over at that point. Everybody counted them out. Uh, they, they were horrible, horrible losses. Then they scratched and clawed their way to victories against the team that was supposed to win it all. Do you know how hard that is for any team? A team that easily could have given up after those first two blowouts, but they banded together, guys stepped up, and they came back. Then against the Hawks, they faced even more adversity when Giannis hyperextended his knee. Their best player was out. Again, they easily could have given up. They easily could have said, hey, we can't win the finals without Giannis. But instead, they focused on the task at hand. They handled the Hawks. They made it to the finals. And Giannis was able to come back and <laughs> return to basically even a new form. We haven't seen him play at this high of a level before. It was just what he did in this final series. It was crazy. So bottom line, again, the Bucks just had to face more adversity than the Suns did. And I think that's why they won. The Bucks just went through too much to lose. At the end of the day, again, great stuff by the Bucks. Are they a dynasty? Maybe not quite yet, but if I remember correctly, Bobby Portis is their only big free agent this year, so it looks like the East could be running through Milwaukee for the next few years. Still, though, credit to Phoenix. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are two of the best players at their respective positions, and they're both going to have great careers, really. For Chris Paul, I really feel like this was his chance, and it just wasn't meant to be, I guess. He came out, he had a huge game one, but then he kind of regressed after that. He still played well, but bottom line, not good enough. Now he has to choose whether he wants to stay in Phoenix and try to make another run, or if he wants to try running it up elsewhere. If I'm Chris Paul, I stay. We made it this far, let's rest, let's reboot, let's make another run next year. It's a very good basketball team and there's no sense in tearing it down, tearing it apart, just because you lose the finals. But there will be some interest from a lot of teams. Obviously Dallas, they need a point guard, to, they need to bring somebody in and help Luka. Both LA teams could be interested. Already that's three teams that could be competing for Chris Paul on top of the Suns. Those teams are all in the West, and in my opinion, that's the harder conference. So if he stays in the West, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult to even make it to the conference finals. You look over at the East, Philadelphia could be interested, Miami could be interested, I've heard New York thrown around a little bit. So I could understand if he wants to go over to the East, have a little bit, I guess, higher of a chance to make it to the conference finals and the finals. Uh, but again, I do think the smartest thing for him to do 
is pick up that $44 million player option and stay in Phoenix. Now, I want to talk about this, another point guard. Last week, there was a bunch of rumors about Damian Lillard reportedly requesting to be traded. First off, the information came from an unreliable source. And even if he is unhappy, it feels like they kind of jumped the gun a little bit to stir up some controversy. So Dame still hasn't requested a trade. It was supposed to come uh, a few days from when the rumors got released. So he still hasn't requested a trade. But he did admit that he wants his team to do better. So who knows? Maybe things change after the Olympics. Maybe that's when he says, okay, yeah, I talked to a few guys here. Let's do this. Get me out of here. So if that happens, there's going to be a lot of angry Portland fans pulling up all of Dame's old tweets about being loyal and all that stuff. And it's fair. It's fair to be upset. It is. He spent so much of his career dogging on these super teams and preaching loyalty and all that. So it it would sting a little bit. But people change. You know, people's goals change in life all the time. And eventually when they feel like they haven't reached their their potential, that's, that's when people want change the most. Dame could be remembered as one of the best shooters in NBA history. But right now he doesn't have any hardware to show for it. You know, you talk about best shooters and it's always Steph and Dame. Okay, like you can't bring up Dame without talking about Steph almost. So he has to do something to kind of separate himself from that conversation. Uh, Whether it's in Portland or somewhere else, I do want to see him get a ring. All I'm going to say is I think Dame would look really, really good next to Luka over in Dallas. So now let's switch gears onto the NFL. Uh, Last week ESPN came out with an article where they rank the top 10 tight ends in the NFL. And of course, people don't agree. People are always upset about every list. But first off, I'm going to start off by saying I'm so glad Kyle Pitts was left off this list. I've seen so many tight end rankings that have him already as one of the best 10 tight ends in the league currently. And I can assure you he's not. No rookie comes in and is instantly a top 10 player at his position before they even take a professional snap. That's absurd. Now, can he still be a top 10 uh, tight end by mid-season or the end of the season? Sure. But you look at the tight end, you know, the history of tight ends in the NFL, and it's it's notorious for being one of the harder positions to adjust to in the NFL. You have to come in, you have to learn to run routes just as good as the receivers, and then turn around and learn how to block like a lineman. It ain't easy. He's exciting. Kyle Pitts, uh, he's got a lot of upside, but he's not there yet. So, this is ESPN's list. One, they have George Kittle. And then Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, Jonu Smith, and Zach Ertz. So it's not an awful list at all, but I do have my issues. I'd say one through four I'm fine with. Sure, five is a little bit high for Hawkinson, I think, but it's debatable. I get it. I definitely think he's going to see a lot of volume being the only reliable target in Detroit, so that boosts his stock a little bit. Evan Ingram, he doesn't even deserve to be on the list at all, and I think both of the Eagles' tight ends are a little overrated. So I made my own list, and this is what I came up with, and it's based off of right now, today. I'm not projecting who's going to have a big season. Uh, you know, It's based off of today. So number one, I have Travis Kelsey. Number two, I have George Kittle. Kittle and Kelsey, they kind of flip-flop a lot between one and two, 
But right now I put Kelsey at the top because he just broke the record for receiving yards in a season by tight end. And he came close to leading the entire league in receiving, which has never been done before by a tight end. Also, Kittle was injured, so I'm not exactly sure where he's at health-wise. But, you know, I do think that they're both really, really good players. Uh, They're interchangeable at one and two, so I understand if you want to put Kittle up top. If I'm doing a projection, I think Kittle is going to have a little bit of a comeback here, here, for what it's worth. At three, I have Darren Waller. At four, I have Mark Andrews. Darren Waller, he's going to be number three to almost anybody you ask, and that's not a bad spot to be, really. He's a freak athlete. Uh, He's not as technical as either of the top two guys, but he's a very, very good tight end. Mark Andrews, he's a reliable target for Lamar Jackson, and that's his best trait. Extremely reliable. Over to number five, I have Noah Fant. Six, I have TJ Hawkinson. And seven, I have Mike Gisecki. Five through seven are pretty interchangeable. So Noah Fant and Mike Gisecki, they're part of the quote-unquote new wave of tight ends who are basically just huge receivers. These guys thrive in the slot. They can make defenses pay with their speed across the middle, running a seam route down the middle. Um, they're, they're really just glorified slot receivers. TJ Hawkinson is more of a traditional tight end in that he's a big guy with good hands. None of these three are maulers in the run game, but they're all willing to fight in the trenches, and that's a plus. These guys are all going to have a really big year as well. Dallas Goddard at number eight. He was a very, very hyped up player during his first couple years with the Eagles, but he still hasn't become quite as good as Philadelphia expected him to be. Still, he's a very, very good tight end. Uh, He gets the job done. He's good enough for Philadelphia to think about trading Zach Ertz, who at one point was considered the best tight end in the league. So Goddard's still a very good player, just not really elite. Number nine, I have Hunter Henry. And number 10, I have Robert Tunyon. Hunter Henry, he's another player who had a lot of hype around him, but he never really became truly elite. And most of that is due to injuries. When he's healthy, though, Hunter Henry is a great route runner. He has excellent hands, and he's good after the catch. Robert Tunyon, last year he proved to be one of the best end zone threats in the league. And that alone, I think, gives him the 10th spot on this list over some of the honorable mentions. As well, he also has a really good blend of size and speed. And as far as my honorable mentions go, I have Zach Ertz, Jonu Smith, Austin Hooper. And then also, I am expecting a big year from Irv Smith Jr. in Minnesota. But he hasn't shown enough yet to be included on this list, really. Next up, I am going to be getting into my NFC rankings here in a second, but before I get to that, I do want to talk about one of the biggest question marks in the entire NFL, and that would be the New Orleans Saints. I have no idea what to make of this team. They made the playoffs last year, but then they fell apart along with Drew Brees' body, and now they have a new quarterback in town. So it's tough to gauge how good of a football team these guys will be. I do think that they'd be making a huge mistake starting Taysom Hill at quarterback. Not only can he not throw the ball, but when he played last year, he also took a lot of valuable touches away from Alvin Kamara. Uh, In three of the four games that Hill started, Alvin Kamara saw a total of six targets. I do think the Saints are much better suited with, with Winston at quarterback, but then it's like, how high is their ceiling? He's the ultimate gunslinger. Uh, His physical talent is undeniable, but his decision-making is questionable at best, and everybody knows that. I'd like to think that it was fixed, 
sitting behind Drew Brees for a year, taking a year to learn this playbook. But, I mean, Brock Osweiler sat behind Peyton Manning for three years, and he still flopped. So, really my question is, how good of a season does Jameis Winston need to have in order to secure a future job with the Saints? I'm thinking at least 3,200 yards passing, 25 touchdowns, and no more than 10 interceptions. Those aren't crazy numbers, by the way. 3,200 yards last year would have put him 19th in the league. 25 touchdowns would have been 17th, and 10 interceptions would be tied for 13th. So basically, I think he needs to be league average to keep a job. So playing for Sean Payton, having guys like Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, I think he can do it, but it truly feels like a 50-50 chance at this point. I don't know what to expect. But anyways, let's get on to the NFC rankings. I did AFC in my last episode. You can go listen to that if you missed it, or you can go check out my blog on my Twitter bio for more in-depth ranking. Same goes for the NFC. I have an article up already as well, but let's take a look. Tier 1, if you'll remember, are my contenders. So again, to meet the criteria for the first tier, an NFL team has to have three things. Elite quarterback play, minor roster questions, and an excellent head coach in front office. Taking a look at the NFC, there's only one team I can put in this category for right now, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're going to enter the 2021 season looking to defend their Super Bowl title, and they're already off to a good start, returning all 22 starters from their Super Bowl roster. My only question surrounding Tampa Bay is, will this finally be the year that father time catches up to Tom Brady? Until then, these guys are going to be contenders. It's a, it's a great roster from top to bottom, really. Tier 2, they are right there. These are still elite teams, but they kind of have issues on the roster that keep them out of the first tier. I see two teams in the NFC that meet this criteria, the Seattle Seahawks and Los Angeles Rams. Russell Wilson will always keep Seattle competitive, but they didn't really do a whole lot to fix their pass rush last year, and they also lost a corner in free agency, a starting corner, so I think their defense is going to struggle a little bit. For the Los Angeles Rams, I really do think Matthew Stafford can take them deep in the playoffs and possibly even in the Super Bowl. The only reason I don't have them higher is because Stafford has never won a playoff game and he hasn't even taken a snap for the Rams, but I will let it be known I am very excited to see how this Los Angeles Rams team does. On a Tier 3, these are teams with concerns. So the teams in this tier, they have a lot of potential to make a deep playoff run, but they face major questions that could really hold them back. In the NFC, this is the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. So San Francisco, they were obviously held back by injuries last year, but they made the Super Bowl the year before. I don't think they'll be quite as good as they were in 2019, but we'll see how Garoppolo does this year, especially with the job on the line. Over to Green Bay, everybody knows about the Aaron Rodgers situation. So even if he is to come back, how can the guys in that locker room even you know, feel comfortable standing behind him playing for this guy after a whole offseason full of drama? So even if he does come back, I don't see it working out. Tier 4. These are teams on the rise. This is where the NFC starts to get messy. The new playoff format means seven teams will make the playoffs, but I've only talked about five so far. This leaves at least two playoff spots that theoretically could go to any of the following five teams. The Arizona Cardinals, Minnesota Vikings, Washington football team, New York Giants, or Dallas Cowboys. 
So Kyler Murray, he had a really good year last year, and he should improve upon that even still. The ground game is weak and might hold them back a little bit, uh, but they have a good defense. Their defense was really fun to watch last year, and it's also going to be really interesting to see how J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones hold up as they enter 2021 another year older. The Minnesota Vikings, they were one of the most disappointing teams last year, but you couldn't tell if you only watched their offense. Justin Jefferson, he was amazing. Adam Thielen was extremely reliable. And Dalvin Cook, you know, he cemented his spot as one of the top backs in the league. So their offense should be ready to go. Their defense is the issue here, but they should do better with the addition of Patrick Peterson and the return of Daniil Hunter. Washington, they have a top five defense. And they have the potential to be a really explosive offense as well with scary Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. I like their chances of winning the NFC East, but I think that that is their ceiling right now with an aging Ryan Fitzpatrick at the helm. I'm really rooting for them, but I don't know how far he can take these guys. The New York Giants, they're another team with a good young defense. They also added Kenny Galladay to help Daniel Jones out. Uh, that and Saquon Barkley returning from injury. Daniel Jones has no excuses this year, but again, I don't really trust him at quarterback, so I think he's going to hold this team back a little bit. To make it three NFC East teams in a row, I have the Cowboys here. If Dak Prescott returns to form, he will be in talks for MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, and Comeback Player of the Year. This offense could be huge. They could be deadly, but their defense, they... They don't impress me at all. I'll leave it at that. So that's that's why they rank so low. Tier 5, I'm not sure where to put these guys. They could potentially be better than some of the above teams, but they're not bad enough to really be with the below teams. So I don't know. I kind of had to make a new tier for these next two guys. Uh, both teams, they have a new quarterback in town who will either boom or bust. Sam Darnold and Jameis Winston were dumped off by their old teams and now look to lead the Panthers and the Saints, respectively. So Carolina, they have Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, a really exciting trio that gives Darnold more firepower than he ever had in New York. The offensive line is average, but still better than anything Darnold ever had. So Joe Brady, he's one of the top offensive coordinators in the league, and now it's up to Darnold to put it all together and prove himself. I talked about the Saints earlier, so I'm not going to spend very much time here, but I think a lot of Winston's success will depend upon somebody stepping up at wide receiver 2 behind Michael Thomas. If Winston flops, they're going to enter a period similar to what we've seen with the Denver Broncos for the past five years, quarterback purgatory. Not nearly good enough to make it to the playoffs, but too good to land a shot at a top prospect in the draft, and you do not want to be there, trust me. Tier 6, these are the bottom feeders. These teams project to be the bottom of the pack in the NFC. Each one, they just have too many questions to overcome going into the next season. The Chicago Bears, Atlanta Falcons, Philadelphia Eagles, and Detroit Lions make up the final tier. So the fact that Fields fell out of the top 10 worries me a little bit, but hey, so did Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. So really though, how soon until Justin Fields takes over? Even if he does come out as advertised and starts for most of the season, they don't really have a great offensive line. Their defense is starting to age. They've got a few questions all over. So simply put, I just I don't think they're ready to compete with very many teams in the NFC right now. And that's the best case scenario. That's if Fields works out. Atlanta's defense, 
Uh, it's horrible. But their offense could still be fun to watch. Still, with the departure of Julio Jones, it won't be enough to stay afloat for Atlanta. Um, over to Philadelphia, it's now the Jalen Hurts era. This offense has real potential if Hurts can improve his passing, but their defense is going to be one of the worst in the league, so that's not a good combination at all for a young quarterback. The Detroit Lions, they're almost certainly going to be the worst team in the NFC. Uh, the drafting of Panay Sewell actually gives them a really good offensive line, but their receiver room is horrendous, uh, their defense is really, really bad, and that's going to make a really rough time for poor Jared Goff over in Detroit. So, that's all for today's show, but before I go, I'd like to announce that I've started a new podcast for Big Heads Media Group. It's called Jazz Unrestricted. Join me every other Friday for a new episode covering the Utah Jazz specifically. It's currently up on Spotify right now, and we're working to get it onto other platforms, but I'd really, really appreciate it if you could go give that a listen. Thanks for listening to CE Sports.